You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Later in the program, the January 6th committee will meet for its ninth and final hearing next Thursday. The initial date for the hearing was pushed back due to Hurricane Ian, which recently hit Florida. Correspondent Clayton Young provides analysis on the January 6th attack on the Capitol in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, a public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your local headlines. At the Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting on September 27th, City Legal Chris Wheeler shared an appeal of a violation located at 530 South Washington Street. Wheeler said that the property regularly has trash around that has become a public safety issue and plant overgrowth that has become a public nuisance. Bloomington Municipal Code makes it unlawful for any person to throw, place, or scatter any garbage, recyclable materials, or yard waste over or upon any premises, street, or alley, either public or private. Rubbish, by definition in the code, includes wood, glass, bedding, crockery, construction debris, and then a nice catch-all phrase of similar materials. Neighborhood Compliance Officer Rob Council gave the board some background on the violation. Hi, I'm Rob Council, Hand Department. Um, I can give you a brief synopsis of how this all started. Um, August 1st, I met in person with Mr. Davis um, to just to chat in person and see how things were going, see what we could do to maybe get some movement going on the property. Um, I had gotten complaints verbal from different property owners on either side of him about the accumulation of garbage. On the 4th of August, three days later, I went back to Joe's property in person with Liz from Planning, Mike from Hand, and Cody from HUD to see if we could offer any grants, funds, or help to tackle this massive project on his hands. Uh, A week went by, no movement, no nothing had been done on the property, so I issued the first warning on the 11th. Went back to check a week later and issued the second written warning, and still no movement. And all this time I've been trying to talk to him, see what the city can do to help move this along. Um, On the 7th of September, after weeks of nothing happening, I issued my first written ticket with a fine. And here we are. Board member Elizabeth Caron asked what had prompted the Housing and Neighbourhood Development staff to inspect the property. Council responded. In my neighbourhood compliance job, I run into a lot of neighbours. This one was brought up by a neighbour on the same block. Okay. Uh, When I went to issue them a grass ticket, they said, well, why are you giving me this grass ticket when you guys aren't doing anything about this? And he pointed towards Mr. Davis's property. Board President Kayla Cox Deckard said that the appellant informed the board they had removed some of the noxious plants and asked council if he had seen any proof of that. 
There has been a little bit of progress as far as the removal of the noxious plants. Um, yesterday, I did still spot Japanese knotweed and poison ivy on the property, and there are photographs of that included as well. The appellant Joseph Davis spoke explaining how he had acted throughout the process of receiving a violation notice. I would like to take issue with several statements uh, that were made by Rob Council. Uh, first off, uh, on August 1st, yes, it's true, he did come out and visit with me, and then four days later he did bring out uh, uh, several other workers from hand. And from the get-go, I spoke with every one of them, and I said, hey, this is a big project. This is a process. I wish to work with you. I wish to have accountability partners, but I need you to direct me. You can't make nebulous statements without spe specifically directing me. So Rob said, okay, all right, I tell you what. First thing you need to do is get rid of this poison ivy and some of the knotweed and address the things in front of your house. And we'll start there. So I did so. He ended up coming back um, uh, and uh, I saw him pull up uh, and uh, I ran up to him and I was like, Rob, you gotta tell me what Japanese knotweed is. Well, he didn't proceed to tell me what Japanese knotweed was, but he did proceed to tell me how next I needed to focus on my front porch. So then for the next couple of weeks, I focused on clearing things off the front porch and processing them, and in general, trying to address the curb appeal of my property from the front, uh, as that was what I understood that are, uh, uh, where I should be directing my efforts. And Rob did say that I'm going to come back in one week and follow up with you and give you feedback because I expressly asked for feedback through this process so that I could make sure that I was on track. Rob never showed up. And even after I left uh, a neat, uh, phone message with him, either on that following uh, day, Friday, or on Monday at the beginning of the week. It's like, hey, dude, where were you? I worked so hard. I wanted to show off what I've accomplished, and you never showed up. And then several days later, I received these fines. Davis asked the board to appeal the violation so he wouldn't have to pay a fine rather than pay to fix the property. But if I have to spend money on fines which could be going toward the construction of a garage and back, which will house many of these items, that's only injuring my ability to succeed. Can you please understand this? Maybe I'm unconventional. Yes, that's true. But I still have a right to live a peaceful existence and improve that as I am able. So, um, Please grant me another opportunity to demonstrate my progress. That's all I wish. From the get-go, this is a process, and I am a willing, compliant partner in this, but I want a partner in exchange. Board member Jennifer Lloyd asked council if the hand staff could provide the appellant with a thorough list of what needs to be done on this property. He said that they don't normally do that, but it can be done. The board voted unanimously to deny the appeal and uphold the notice of violation. The next meeting will be held on October 11th. 
During the September 27th meeting of the Monroe County Community School Corporation School Board, administrators discussed efforts to provide equitable access to transportation. MCCSC Finance Director Adam Terwilliger said that expanding shuttle services and providing on-time transportation are major goals of the school district. And in terms of access, potentially expanding shuttle services for increased access. We, we brought to the board in April the idea of hub-and-spoke routing or um, potentially moving to a program, even if it's not a program that is in your home districted area. Um, we will be taking a look at more of those access-related um, options for us, as well as strategies for removing barriers to access. Um, barriers defined as potentially program capacity, location, and uh, program awareness. Terwilliger said the school corporation had inefficient transportation practices and that moving forward with a plan to improve transportation services would help the school system to meet its equity goals. So we know as we focus on our work, um, we're, we're kind of guided by the following uh, principles, right? Especially towards equity goal one. We need to maximize student instructional time. We brought to you and I'll share, I'll reshare some of the data we brought to you in April's board meeting, but Essentially, you know, we found that we were having very inefficient transportation practices that were um, not allowing us to have an environment where we had maximized student instructional time. So we know we needed to gain efficient transportation practices to increase access and opportunity um, to additional student programming. And that's just one key component, one guiding principle that we focus on as we continue our work. He provided some context behind transportation issues that led to multiple delays at the start of the 2022-23 school year. Terwilliger walked through how the school district has made improvements to address the issues. With, with a lens back on transportation, just some current realities that help us get an environment where we provide the best opportunity to maximize our student instructional time. So um, at the start of this year, uh, the 22-23 school year, um, as, as, as the board approved in, in the April 2022 meeting, a four-tiered system implemented with, at the start of this year, 85 routes. Um, employee shortages at the start of this year did lead to multiple delays, we have to acknowledge. Um, however, less delays and, and less in length than what would have occurred, I need to be remiss mention, in a two-tiered system. Um, and so absolutely, we're in a situation where we're better equipped to handle those delays, even though unfortunately they did exist. Um, amount of drivers is steadily increasing, as you know, um, as you proved in a prior meeting. Our CDL incentive program has been has been fruitful. Um, 68 drivers to start the year and 78 with five driver trainees just that do not have their CDLs yet as of September 6th. Uh, excited, and I'll present another slide here coming forward that we have some more in the hopper, so to speak, more in the hiring process. Um, we've increased our transportation office staff to provide more capacity to be able to address needs as they as they do come in. And I'd be remiss also here if, you know, of course, as I see our director, uh, Mr. Waddell, and of course, our assistant director, Mr. Goodwin here. I mean, we, we have just absolutely been increasing our staff hours, staff efforts. It's been a team effort and, and everyone's pitching in to do the best job possible. Um, every job has its own situation where there's call-offs and we've handled those appropriately when they have handled or driver shortages where they have happened, right? Whether they're, um, uh, in a seat or not in a seat, we're, we're, we're coming together as a team and we're putting together the best transportation plan we can possibly every single day. Um, hub and spoke optimization, loss instructional time minimization, of course, are, are, are a result of our efforts, uh, but we are focusing on our realities moving forward. Terwilliger said MCCSC conducted a study to evaluate the reality behind the transportation problem. He went over the data found in the study. In April of 22, we brought to you the alarm bell 
Um, we did a study of data that we brought to the board. And at that time, our temperature check was as follows. Our baseline data was as follows. Uh, 32 total unique late buses at that uh, time, 10 of which we defined as being of high frequency at a daily average of four to seven late minutes per bus and an average of 20 to 35 minutes of lost instructional time per week for those that were showing up late. That equivalency was about a week in a school year, which we said was kind of like at the time, I believe I used the phrase committing educational malpractice to not acknowledge that reality and do something about it. I'm pleased to bring to you today a set of, of improving data um, for you uh, from August to September 22, uh, an almost similar time period in, in days and in nature. Um, in this period, 29 total unique late buses, six of which had a high frequency defined as seven or, or greater late events, with a daily average down to two to four late minutes per bus um, and, and or a 10 to 20 minute total loss per week um, instructional time. Now, that's still not ideal. We want that to be zero, but we are working towards minimizing um, that lost instructional time as a team to, to the best of our ability. One question submitted online asked if the capacity of providing before and after school care meets the current demand. Director of Elementary Education, Deborah Pinkert responded. This is a huge celebration actually, because in the past we have actually had very long wait lists for extended day. And unfortunately some families were never able to get that extended day care throughout the entire school year. I'm very pleased to report this year, we do not have any children on a wait list. We, have, we are serving all of our students. So that is a huge celebration compared to the past. And we're really grateful um, this year also, you can look at the numbers there and see, yes, the answer to the question, we do have a larger number of students that are coming in the morning. You can see the difference there from the 21-22 to the 22-23 school year. Also, you'll notice the free and reduced lunch difference. And that is a thank you to, to the board and to Dr. Hoswald, because you'll remember we're actually providing uh, extended day free of charge for people that qualify for free and reduced lunch. So we're really grateful to be able to do that. And we're excited to say that, yes, we are meeting that capacity. We are always still looking for staffing. So if anybody out there is listening and would be interested in working our extended day program, we would love to have you join us. Sir Williger directed parents to a website with more information on the school district's transportation plans at mccsc.edu slash domain slash 57. The MCCSC School Board will meet again on October 25th. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs at 5.30 p.m. each Friday is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Earlier this week, with Hurricane Ian posed to make landfall in southwestern Florida, Fight Toxic Prisons issued the following call for support and a list of demands. As Hurricane Ian, projected to become a Category 3 hurricane in the coming days, threatens Florida, over 176,000 people behind prison bars and in detention centres lie directly in its path with no ability to evacuate. 
We need your help applying pressure to ensure the horrors that happened at FCI Beaumont during Hurricane Harvey and the disaster that Florida prisoners had to endure during Hurricane Michael don't happen again. This tactic proved effective when we forced North Carolina and Virginia to evacuate prisons ahead of Hurricane Florence. Demands. Mass release now. For areas not yet impacted, allow incarcerated people to be released to their family members when possible. Start with the elderly and medically compromised. Evacuate facilities and evacuation zones immediately. Stockpile. Facilities not yet in evacuation zones or unable to evacuate must stockpile food, water, medicine and sanitation supplies. For more information, please visit fighttoxicprisons.wordpress.com. Ecuador's prisons are in crisis. Over 400 incarcerated people were killed in prison in 2021 and overcrowding affects over half of Ecuadorian prisons. In 2021, President Guillermo Lasso announced he would pardon thousands of incarcerated people for low-level crimes in an effort to curb overcrowding and violence. But conditions in prisons remain largely the same. On September 5th, the mayor of Guayaquil, Cynthia Viteri, proposed building prisons on uninhabited islands off the coast of Ecuador in order to ensure that they have no communication with the mainland and that they cannot escape. According to Viteri, this proposal is a recommendation from Israeli consultants hired by the state to suppress violence in prisons. Another alternative the state is considering is to cede control over prisons to local municipalities, such as in Colombia and Mexico. But perhaps the most dramatic proposal by the state is to privatize prisons, which would delegate the construction, surveillance, and administration to private corporations. This plan would be modeled after the private prison system in the U.S. But this change would require a constitutional amendment. Experts are skeptical of this program and argue that it would not curb violence or overcrowding. The January 6th committee will meet for its ninth and final hearing next Thursday. The initial date for the hearing was pushed back due to Hurricane Ian, which recently hit Florida. To provide a summary of events on the January 6th attack on the Capitol, we turn to analysis from WFHB correspondent Clayton Young. Stop the steal. Hang Mike Pence. Fight for Trump. His loyal followers chanted as the world watched the events unfold in Washington, D.C. The attempted insurrection occurred on the afternoon of January 6, 2021, following a March to Save America rally hosted by the right-wing group Women for America First. The group got all the proper permits, expecting a crowd of 5,000 people, but that number ballooned to tens of thousands when the attendees' goal shifted from listening to fighting. The riots that followed Trump's appearance at the March to Save America rally were the result of months of baseless claims declaring the 2020 presidential election was rigged to falsely certify Joe Biden's victory. The Trump campaign spent the previous two months vigorously objectifying election results in key swing states to no success. This, however, did not stop the soon-to-be former president to prematurely declare victory. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. 
Trump's re-election campaign faced an uphill battle during his administration's mismanagement of the coronavirus pandemic. The administration's laissez-faire policies regarding COVID regulations assured the public the virus would disappear like magic, while deaths were multiplying across the country. Quote, from the very beginning, that minimalization set a tone that reverberated from the highest levels of government to what the average person believes about the virus, end quote. Amish Adaja, a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, said. Trump's approval rating was waning, and declaring election fraud had worked for him in the past. Quote, in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally, end quote. Clinton won the popular vote by nearly 3 million votes. Trump peddled election fraud in 2016 and was peddling again in 2020. Following months of allegations by the president of ballot stuffing and vote dumping, the Mitri Corporation found these claims were baseless and concluded voter fraud conspiracies were false. Quote, the claim that Dominion machines artificially inflated results to Joseph Biden Jr.'s advantage is not supported in the election results data, the researchers wrote. Donald Trump had undermined the legitimacy of mail-in voting for months and his rhetoric permeated in the minds of his supporters. A December 2020 poll from Quinnipiac University found that 77% of Republicans believed in widespread fraud during the presidential election. The lies spread by former President Trump through his misinformation campaigns and repeated by the Republican establishment created a power keg of tensions in the United States. Major news outlets confirmed Joseph Biden as president-elect after a tense counting cycle. But the saga of Trump is not over. He still has an ace up his sleeve. His cult of personality. On December 19th, Trump tweeted his support for the March to Save America rally that he would speak at. Trump tweeted, quote, be there, we'll be wild, end quote. On January 3rd, an internal intelligence report circulated within the Capitol Police Department detailed the need for increased security around the Capitol building. The intelligence memo explicitly warned with a large group of pro-Trump supporters being partnered with white supremacist movements to target Congress itself. Quote, the memo concluded that January 6th was shaping up to potentially be a perfect storm of danger because of the size of the expected crowds, the urgency of the group's mission, the call for demonstrators to bring lethal weapons, the location of the two largest protests in proximity to the Capitol grounds, and the fact that, quote, both have been promoted by President Trump himself. The report was not widely shared among law enforcement agencies, according to an FBI official. The Virginia office of the FBI explicitly warned of a caravan of extremists traveling to Washington. Other notable speakers that were present at the Save America rally include members of Trump's personal clique like his sons, Eric and Don Jr., along with his lawyer, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. The keynote speakers at the rally backed up the president's baseless claims of election fraud, with Giuliani going so far as to suggest that... Let's have trial by combat! to determine the true election results. At 11.50 a.m., the president took the stage and delivered a speech full of rhetoric that threatened the integrity of American democracy. Across Constitution Avenue, about two and a half miles away, Congress was meeting to certify the electoral results in a joint session of the Senate and the House of Representatives. As Trump finished his speech at 1.10, 
He delivered a call to action that will live on as his legacy. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Armed with assault rifles, plastic handcuffs, and Trump's promises still fresh in their minds, the mob marched down Pennsylvania Avenue to the steps of the Capitol, where they were met with the Capitol Police barricade. Capitol Police tried to contain the rioters, but as the angry horde of Trump supporters swelled, police were forced to give up their positions. The violent scene quickly escalated as rioters surrounded police officers on their way to overrun the halls of the Capitol. Police outside were met with hostility. Quote, they're throwing metal poles at us, an officer says. Multiple law enforcement injuries, he adds in a panicked voice, end quote from the BBC. Soon after the rioters break past the police barricade and rush up the west stairs to the Capitol, police issue an evacuation warning to surrounding federal buildings, but not the Congress in session. As protesters scaled the walls of the Capitol building, Vice President Mike Pence was rushed away from the session. Soon after, members of Congress were instructed to evacuate the chamber. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. USA demands the truth, end quote, Trump tweeted shortly after. When insurrectionists breached the Capitol and overran police backup, their goal was to disrupt the counting of electoral votes. The reasoning was to stop the perceived stolen election from being certified and would do anything to achieve that goal, including the assassination of prominent Democratic leaders. Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York shared her testimony on Instagram Live weeks after the attempted insurrection. She says she didn't feel safe sharing an extraction point with GOP colleagues, fearing they would lead rioters to her location. And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. She managed to hide in an office with another Democratic lawmaker, Representative Katie Porter of California, for five hours during the coup. Ocasio-Cortez disclosed that she is a victim of sexual assault and accused Republican lawmakers like Senator Ted Cruz of Texas of attempting to downplay the seriousness of the riots like abusers who attempt to discredit and silence victims. These folks who tell us to move on, that it's not a big deal, that we should forget what's happened, or even telling us to apologize, um, these are the same tactics of abusers. And um, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. An estimated 140 people were injured during the attempted insurrection and the official death toll of the event was five individuals. The total number of insurrectionists charged for their involvement in the event is up to nearly 900, with more being charged every day. I can think of no greater failure by a commander in chief than to allow this kind of disturbance to continue and not stop it. Insider has a searchable list of people with charges relating to the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. This is Clayton Young, signing off.
support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Clayton Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for A Heavyweight, a new investigative program that brings attention to Indiana cases which have not received the attention they deserve. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.